be sure to follow our website on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz, Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stull. Also, if you'd like to support the Hockey Hurts podcast, you can do so by going to the podcast page and sign up for a monthly donation. It is much appreciated. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for June 27th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And today we have a very special edition of the podcast. We have an extremely awesome guest, uh, tsn.ca analytics writer, former Hockey Buzz colleague of mine, and esteemed food critic, Travis Yost. (laughs) Most importantly, the esteemed food critic part. Um, Travis, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, you guys have me uh, pinned down for an hour, but an hour flat. You're already on the – I bill hourly, so you're already on the uh, meter. You're already running. You are an attorney, aren't you? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, since we're being billed hourly, let's get right into it. Um, We'll start with what I would consider uh, the bad of yesterday and the Boston Bruins. Uh, They decided to start their rebuild on draft day as opposed to the trade deadline, and they got rid of Dougie Hamilton, Milan Lucic, and made some strange – uh, first round selections. Travis, what do you think about that? Uh, it was comedy. Kept me entertained <laughs> all day. They, uh, I don't even, I, I said this yesterday, but like we, the whole point of Twitter is to get off jokes, right? Like you just want to get that zinger in as soon as you can. But when, when you're truly speechless about a move or a series of moves, I, I think that's like the pinnacle of being brain dead, right? Like we haven't seen that since probably the David Clarkson deal in Toronto where he gets this massive contract and everyone's kind of like, what in the world? Who did the Maple Leafs sign? Beyond that, it would probably be, I guess, Jeff Finger's contract. But <laughs> I know the Toronto. Like, boss, okay, so individually, each move was bad, but it was like a combination of so, – so there's like eight different directions we can take this. Like, number one – why did they think re-signing like, or extending Adam McQuaid was a priority? Number two, why did they move Dougie Hamilton for cap reasons if they were going to clear Milan Lucic's $6 million in cap space? Why did they not just move Lucic and create the cap space for Dougie Hamilton? Um, a week before this all went down, they said they were prepared to match. I, I don't believe that it was true. But they were said they were prepared to match at least some level of an offer sheet for Dougie Hamilton, which, okay, if you move on from McQuaid or some other player that's eaten up some of your cap space, plus you can trade Milan Lucic, there's all your cap space you need right there to re-sign Dougie Hamilton. And then, I, you know, the last thing about this is I never profess to be an expert on junior players and prospects. I literally know as little as you can possibly know. But I just don't have time to watch them. Um, I I defer to everyone else on these prospects, truly. Um, The one thing I think I do know fairly well is the NHL and players who play in the NHL. So I I, I would have to appeal to you guys if you guys have a better uh, understanding of the the picks they made. But at least from what I've read, the three picks they made in the first round were pretty much second-round talents, right? So, I mean, it was just a combination of just bad move after bad move after bad move and I got the sense that this was going to be what was going to happen in Boston when this summer they're talking about, hey, we, we had trouble interviewing candidates for our positions because they couldn't find any salary cap information on our team. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what the hell, are we, what planet are we on? It, it was really strange. And, I mean, you knew it was coming when they started talking about getting back to the Bruins way, being physical, 
almost to the point where you thought a Milan Lucic extension was coming. But they actually moved him like they should have, and like you mentioned, that creates cap space for Dougie Hamilton, but the problem was they traded him <laughs> before... The only thing I can think of is that they didn't they, they don't value Dougie Hamilton. They they don't see something with him, which is strange because every all the underlying numbers point to the exact opposite. So I guess if uh, you're in the Eastern Conference, that's a good thing because if they're not paying attention to the right things, that's one less team to worry about. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure. I don't even know if I buy the whole skill thing. I felt like that was a nice little uh niche to carve into after you lost the player that oh and by the way we have some objection to his game even though we raved over him all year and everyone who's an independent observer has raved over him for years so i i i think that was just a comfortable out for them like oh you know we had some some money available for him but you know then there were these character flaws or skill i don't know if they said character but some sort of innate talent flaw or skill flaw that that they also saw in the player that justified them not extending him so uh, it's all bizarre. Um, I have no idea. what. But, but by the way, you mentioned the Boston way or the Bruins way. I always find it interesting that that's what people talk about. Because you know what the Bruins way was for years? It was having Patrice Bergeron in his prime and Zidane Chara kind of in his prime. His prime has lasted like 15 years, so it's kind of unfair. But really everything <laughs> fed off of those two. And really I should say great goaltending. So really everything fed off those three individual entities on this team so you know yes they had this like punishing forecheck and they cycled real well and they gave up nothing defensively but it all funneled from they have one of the best centers in the world they had the best defenseman in the world and they had the best goaltending or near best goaltending in the league so the Bruins way yeah they might have been a bit more physical than other teams but it also happened to be because they had a lot more skill than every other team I think the Bruins way was more Mike Milbury Bruins sorry Cam no, you're right. But does, does that come? Does that come from the old school way of just looking with the eye test at hockey? That Bruins way thing, like Gunnar just mentioned, the Mike Milbury way of, of thinking. It, it seems as though there's still those wonderful broad brushstrokes on, on hockey teams in regards to and players for that matter in regards to whether they're good or whether they're bad. You get there and look at their underlying numbers, which is just another way of saying fancy stats or analytics. And you get totally different stories from some of these things. So have the Bruins just totally botched how to move the different, to a different direction from being, you know, quote unquote, the old Boston? Uh, here's okay. So getting, getting into that question, I'll give you a perfect example of why I just can't reconcile anything they're doing. Let's say they think Dougie Hamilton doesn't pass some sort of test, right? We like, we all agree that even Boston, has said, yeah, very good defenseman. But embedded in that was, you know, where we reached a cap where we knew that we weren't going to work out a contract with Dougie Hamilton. And look, we think he's good, but he's not perfect. And so we're not prepared to pay him this amount of money or whatever, um, which is fine. So, like, we've seen players have great rookie or sophomore seasons. And, you know, you have one or two years of data and you feel real good about the player. And then sometimes their career just randomly deviates and that's so that's i mean that's just as much like doing the proper video analysis and getting a real good sense of the player marrying that with the numbers like if they actually saw something in dougie hamilton that no one else saw okay i'll I'll buy it for a minute but then so i go back to adam mcquade so how many years has adam mcquade played in the nhl he's not good okay he's he's a he's a third pairing defenseman you can find anywhere around the league and they yeah, I don't. I don't. There's no other way to say it. They prioritized extending Adam McQuaid. We have years. We know 
the easiest way to say it is we know who Adam McQuaid is. So they can try and spin this yarn about, you know, we, we want multi-years. We want that kind of physicality and toughness. That's great. We know what Adam McQuaid is. He's not very good, and they prioritized him. I don't know if they prioritized him over Dougie Hamilton, but they certainly made a priority to keep him long-term. Um, you know what we've kind of left out of this discussion because it w- didn't happen yesterday? They gave away Johnny Boychuk for peanuts, too. Yeah, that's, and that's that was, I guess, the beginning of it, right? But, I mean, that, I guess that was semi-old regime, but not really because, you know, you still got some of the same pu- – so so let me ask you guys because you guys might I, – I, I don't really have any opinion on this, but how much do we think Cam Neely's playing a role in this? Seabass? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to say without being the inner workings of the organization, but um, they started making these kind of moves – prior Don Sweeney and are continuing on and Don Sweeney being a former teammate of Cam, they're probably on the same wavelength. Have to imagine that's why he was hired. Because I, I just can't, I, I guess uh, with each new move, I'm, I don't think that Neely's the one green lighting these, but I, I think I'm on the same page as you where it's, you know, they Sweeney and Neely are pretty much on the same page with all these moves. And with each time that they, you know, do want whether it's a trade or a free agent signing or, yeah, draft, whatever it is. Um, I start to grow more and more suspicious about what kind of influence each guy has there. I mean, that's just, I feel it's, I, I kind of go about that thought process with every organization, not just the Bruins. But I, I think it's curious because yesterday I heard Neely's name or read Neely's name on Twitter more than I think I ever have before. And, and I guess the fan base's sentiment is that he has a very, very big influence on what goes on there. I just don't know enough about the inner workings of that team to know, but I certainly, I, I've seen his name more yesterday than I think I have in four years. So I found it curious. Yeah. And their moves it, speak to it. Yeah. It feels, it feels very old Boston way, I suppose. And that's what Cam Neely's sort of being projected to embody. So it's, it's tough to say, like you both said, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't have inside information um, from Boston, it's hard to say. But it definitely looks as though Neely's fingerprints are over some of these decisions. Not like you said, Travis. He's probably not green lighting them, but he's probably got a, a pretty big influence in regards to the way he thinks hockey one should be played and two what constructs a hockey team to win. And it, it'll be interesting to see how it rolls out in the next, you know, two years. Because this gets into a next, my next thought, which is Sweeney's the GM. But let's say, I think we can all agree that Neely has some degree of influence. That's undebatable. Um, mm-hmm. So where I go from there is I start looking at the teams that I think have no idea what they're doing, which would include Boston, Colorado. Um, Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, let me just isolate. Yeah, right, we'll, right. We'll so, get to uh, them yeah, later. And I, I, I promise mentioned that. mentioned yesterday New Jersey and Pittsburgh are not far behind. But let me focus on those two, Boston and Colorado. I, I feel like those organizations at the top levels have extreme, extreme influence from people who either played or managed 20 years ago when the sport was totally different. And I think this is the single biggest problem with how teams are run today is that people are very smart hockey people from 20 years ago have been empowered to run basically a different sport and they operate it under at least some cloaking or some understanding that 
hey, you know, this sport is what it is now, but there are still some degrees and elements from what it was in the 90s. And I, I just don't think that's the case at all. I think it's almost an entirely different sport. I think analysis runs almost counterintuitive to what we did or anyone, I should say, not we, because I wasn't included in that, but what other people were doing 20 years ago or whatever. Um, I think that the ideal balance, I, I always say the Tampa Bay, I think, is the best-run organization right now. And you look at the Bolts, and Steve Eiserman, obviously a longtime hockey veteran running the show there, but he has a interest. They have an inter- very interesting power balance there. They have a stat guy who does a lot of good stuff there, but more importantly, they have Julian Brisbois, who did not have a playing career or a very limited playing career, um, lawyer, and they they have many other people that it seems to be a collective group um, decision there, and it's not so much guided by what one individual thinks about what hockey is from 20 years ago. Does that does that make sense? Because that, yeah. that's kind of where <laughs> yeah, that's it's kind of where I think. These, these struggling teams really struggle is that they haven't totally evolved the way this, this sport has. It's such it's a tremendous point. Hockey is an old boys club. That's how it is at the moment. And until all of those old men get blushed out and all the new, new younger assistant GMs get pushed up the ladder, I, and it might take another 20 years for that to change. But until that happens, you are going to get teams making fools of themselves because, like you said, Travis, they're looking at it for, in a 20-year retrospective way to run a hockey club. Yeah, and, and I and I think I, – I guess I would point out that – I mean this isn't unique to hockey, right? This is a business thing. This is a teaching and education thing. This You know, things change, right? And the people who are progressive tend to long-term win out, but – in the meantime, you'll still have the remnant. Like, look at look at the Maple Leafs. Like, two years ago, did anyone want to trade with the Maple? Like, every single team would it was begging to to trade with the Maple Leafs because they were so they were so out of it. They they were brain dead. And yet now they have this interesting power balance where they have a player who competed not too long ago, by the way, Brandon Shanahan, not that far removed from the league, number one. But obviously major influence in Toronto. But there seems to be an interesting balance there because they have Kyle Dubas, the assistant GM, who has I understand very, very much say in what goes on there. Um, they have this army of stat guys now that they've assembled, and that organization is only going to continue to grow. And I think what I'm trying to get at is I think you need the player influence. I, I really do because I, I, it gets into the video analysis aspect of it. It gets into things that players see that maybe you know people who are you know have not stepped on the ice at that level. Uh, maybe they don't pick up on, but I think you need that 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 strike that balance between player and ex-player um, who has a real feel for the game, at least where it is now, and to balance that, guys who really know who are, who have a progressive outlook on the sport, who are very stat-oriented, um, who know what drives success, who know what's you know build up in random variants, stuff like that, and, and I think that's where you're going to see the smart organizations headed, where you have this like you know, a group of three or five or seven guys who really come together and they all have some degree of expertise and they formulate decisions instead of this old one or two person run organization. And it's all player based from the eighties and nineties. Um, I think it's great if you get a player with all that being on the ice is different than being up there. Uh, I didn't play at quite that level, but you know, there are different in- intricacies about playing that you might not pick up on. But if you can get a player that has that prestige and is also welcoming of all the progressive advanced stats and all that, I think you're putting yourself 
in a great spot to succeed, especially if you surround yourself with others of that same mindset. And I think Toronto's a really great example of, uh, of that starting to happen. And to your Steve Eiserman point, I believe he also got to work with Jim Nill in Detroit, who's another um, pretty solid GM. So um, he's, there's, it's no wonder why Tampa's doing well. Yeah. I think I think what's also curious too is like I, I don't want to make this a stat thing because it, it's it goes it runs against what I'm saying which is you need such a balance between the stat stuff and the video stuff and and I think that a perfect organization marries all of that together but like I I would love to talk to every single GM and assistant GM in the league and just ask some of the most basic questions like so do you think on ice save percentage regresses year over year and and I guarantee you even though this is something that has absolutely checked out, right? There's no debate about it. It regresses to, what, 97% towards the mean? And I guarantee you that when I went through the 30 GMs and 30 assistant GMs or however many you want to go through, I guarantee you would get a very decent percentage who would say, no, no, I don't think that's true, even though this has been statistically checked out. And I think that's the thing that bugs me is that, there are teams who this 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 evidence and and this uh, this sort of stuff is readily available. Just like two seconds, one page click, and you get you get some of these guys running organizations who have really no idea, and they're kind of embedded in what they thought about the sport from 1994, and it just it drives me nuts. Goaltending oh, is the most misunderstood thing going right now. Value of goaltending. I think the only guy, GM, that could answer your question about regression correctly would be Glenn Sather because he has the one goalie that it just doesn't seem to, <laughs> to, to work with. But, uh, yeah, Cam, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah, it's goaltending such an interesting aspect statistically because all the numbers come out and then you get all the, the ex-goaltenders in the media try to come up with reasons why a goalie who has poor stats is still – wanted by the team it, it, it's like oh they trust the guy back there and they know he'll make the big save when they need it and all of those sorts of things and it's like wouldn't you rather just go with the law of averages where you're going to get the most consistent result all the time rather than relying on the big save and the big moment when in reality you don't know when that big moment might be GM, I should just say organizational evaluation of defensemen and goaltenders is lagging just like miles and miles and miles behind what it is for forwards, and there's one reason for that. Forwards, their play is really point-scoring driven, right? So the better forwards score more points. It's very easy for a GM to look at hey, this guy scored more points than this guy over five years. I think he's probably better. Um, it, it's not really hard to evaluate these guys long-term, at least at the NHL level, at the forward level. But this gets into, okay, well, how do you evaluate defensive forwards, number one? And then don't even get me started on defensemen and goaltenders because unless you're an elite offensive point producer defenseman or you're 6'7", 260, and you skate like Eric Carlson, they have no idea who you are uh, on defense. And goaltenders... I think I know less about goaltenders every year because the more I think I know about goaltenders, the less I do. They are someone, – someone like eight years ago said goaltenders are voodoo, and I was like, yeah, they kind of are. And I could not endorse that statement anymore because I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea if any goaltender is any good from, from Henrik Lundqvist to Vesa Tosca. I have no idea. 
That's why I don't like the idea of giving them big money in long term because you just don't know. It's a bad investment usually. What what investment long term? By the way, not. I, I, this is this is turned into a stream of consciousness podcast. But listen, it's it's just funny when you said it 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 triggered uh what do you call that? It triggered like a synapse or something where you said long term doesn't work out ninety whatever percent of the time. But I thought it was interesting yesterday. Did you guys see that um, they shot it down after about three hours? But someone I'm pretty credible said that Tuka Rask's name was out there, and then three hours later they shot it down. I found that very interesting because I remember. Whoever it was that reported that Tuka Rask's name was just kind of out there was – I can't remember if it was TSN or Sportsnet, but it, it was someone very credible. No, I saw the same thing, and at that stage of the day, I'm like, hell, anything goes with that team. <laughs> <laughs> so I did see that, um, and it made it all the more interesting because they picked up Martin Jones. They have Malkin Subban. It's like, well, somebody there has got to move, and they're getting crazy over there. So, but Tuka Rask is probably closer to that Henrik Lundqvist where you can feel safe about his abilities. He's one of the few that I could probably say that about. Right. Yeah. He would be. He would be one of the very few goaltenders who I'm confident will turn in top three five performance year over year. Um, but again, actually, if you think about it, though, it's an interesting trade piece from Boston's perspective, right? Like, let's say you think no one. And again, take it from a grain of salt because I say I am the worst goaltender evaluator maybe in planet Earth. But I I think Martin Jones could be a decent goalie in the NHL. And, and may, so like let's say Boston thinks he's solid, and let's say they think Subban's not far away. Tuka Rask's an interesting trade candidate then because I mean you're not going to get better value than Tuka Rask. At this stage, I would consider it. They have really ruined that team to the point where. It's going to take a while to get back, and by the time they're back, you know, Tuka Rask is going to have, what, two or three years left? Might as well, well cash let me, out. Yeah, let me ask you guys, let me ask both of you, what do you think the plan is? Defend, like, it seems to me that part of the plan defensively in Boston is to have Zdeno Chara play, like, seven more seasons. Like, I, I feel like most of their moves now are calculated around, yeah, well, we have Chara, we just got to build around him. And I'm like, dude, he's, like, pushing 40. And a little bit showing it now. Not a lot, but it's starting to lightly trend in that direction. Seidenberg can't move. Tory Krug's going to want more money than 3.4 next year. Uh, Joe Morrow, who is the former Penguins guy they traded for Brendan Morrow years ago, uh, he hasn't amounted to much. But you got Adam McQuaid now. Got him locked <laughs> in. Uh, they're a mess on defense. They have no foresight. They got rid of Boychuk with a declining Chara. I... I don't know how they dig themselves out of this hole. We haven't even talked about Tyler Sagan. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think you go back to, if you loop all the way around back to the start in regards to what a Boston tried to do as a rule, I don't think they really know who they are. I hate using the word the team has no identity, but I don't think they really know what comprise what you need to put into a team to win in modern NHL at the moment. I don't think they know. And the beauty of Zdeno Chara was that he could do it all. He could start the breaker. He could run you a power play. He could destroy someone if he wanted to. Um, he was brilliant at clearing the net. Um, he could do it all back there. And he covered up so many mistakes and errors and flaws that were structurally made in that team. 
he's on the decline. It's an unfortunate part about getting older, and he's been injured lately. It'll be really interesting to see how he plays um, this year after coming back from, I think it was a PCL that he hurt uh, this season. It'll be interesting to see how he comes back, whether he comes back fresh at the start of the year or whether he starts to show a little bit more decline than he has. I just don't think they know what you need to make as a team. And Boston are not alone in this. I don't think they have made the switch in regards to what's required in the current NHL, but I don't think anyone knows what the current NHL is at the moment because everyone's complaining about goal scoring and the simplest thing to fix that, which Gunnar and I have said previously, is just call the penalties as they should be called. Back like when the, the lockout came along, 2005 I think it was, when they came back on. And that will change the way teams have to be constructed anyway. So it's all a bit like juggling balls at the moment. I don't think Boston are alone in this situation. Um, anything else to add on Boston? I I am so anxious, not anxious, excited to see what they do over the next three months. That, By the way, I saw someone yesterday had said that the Dougie Hamilton deal was maybe worse than the Tyler Sagan one. I No. Tyler, the, the Tyler, <laughs> Tyler Sagan deal was as bad as it gets. Um, I, I have no I idea. Malkin. I, I have no idea what Boston still – and, and they could see that they, they screwed that up. I, 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 the Sagan deal, you, I talk about, oh, there's only a few things that leave me speechless. Add Tyler Sagan. Add the Sagan trade to that. So we, I got four things now. Jeff Finger, <laughs> David Clarkson, Tyler Sagan, and the, in the Boston 2015 run of uh, June. So that, those four. I'll segue or segue from Sagan into the Buffalo Sabres by this. I remember when Sagan was getting moved and Darcy Regeer was reluctant to give up some of those uh, like Vanek Pominvilles for it. Like you can't trade Jason Pominville. Like he wouldn't part with some of these guys that aren't even with him anymore. And to that, what a change to the guy that I think is such a boss, Tim Murray, the man of a sore word draft selection, and uh, just all the great things they're doing. They're the opposite of the Boston Bruins right now. I think Tim Murray Murray is getting close to my top five GM. Um, And, and like, the reason why I caveat that by saying uh, he's not in the top five yet is it really is not difficult to strip down a team. Um, He did an unbelievable job doing it, but the harder part, is building it back up. So I love the Evander Kane trade. I love the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Um, so he is moving up very, very quickly. Year one, it was just awesome to watch that team just totally tank last year and trade for these scrubs like Josh Georges, and we're going to play him 20 minutes a night and <laughs> get absolutely you know eviscerated night after night. But this is the harder part, right? We all agree this is the harder part, building a team. Uh, and it's so hard to build a team through UFAs and trade. It's just because, you know, they, they did a good job stockpiling assets to build through trades. So the hard part is building through UFA. You really don't want to build through UFA. So it'll be curious to see if they make any big signings in free agency. Um, but other – the Ryan O'Reilly trade was awesome because now they have him, Evander Kane, Jack Eichel is going to be – whether it's this year or next year. They've got a lot of weapons up there. The number one thing I want to see them do if they do it in free agency is I want to see them – sign a defenseman. Um, they 
desperately need a, a puck moving defenseman back there. I am curious to know if they go the Cody Franson route because I, 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 I think it. Cody Franson is a bit undervalued after kind of a shaky finish last year. And I still think he's a pretty good defenseman. I don't think he's going to cost a whole lot. Um, I don't think they're going to go to Andre Sequeira after, you know, he left Buffalo, but that I guess is another option. Um, or, or Erhoff, the other good. Yeah. Guy yeah. The, 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 the only, the only thing I would say about Erhoff is I think Erhoff is an unbelievable player still. Um, but I don't know that he fits. I think Buffalo wants a guy. I don't. I don't know if Buffalo wants an, an older defenseman. Even if he improves the team, like Arrow absolutely would. I just kind of get the sense that they want at least a core within. I don't know, six or seven years of each other. What, um, what about Mike Green? Mike Green's interesting. Um, but Mike Green, I think, is going to be the number one bidding war defenseman. And I, I just, I don't know if Buffalo is going to want to spend a, a, a ton of money in 2015 free agency when it's likely that they're going to be not great next year. Um, so, so I know, like, I, yeah, I, they could get involved in that. Um, but I have to say, I, I, I really do have to say this one thing. Um, I, again, Tim Murray, very close to getting into my top five. He actually might even be, if I went through the list, I think he might even be in my top five right now. I didn't think the Robin Leonard trade was great. I have to say, I, I think they gave up a little too much. I, I think that they, I think part of the, the reason why I didn't think the trade was great, I, the first round pick was costly enough, but like you kind of wonder if they think David Leguan is going to be like a guy there, and David Leguan is toast. So, And he is signed for... I think he has uh, one year. Yeah, just one more year. So, I mean, that's not debilitating but i you know i probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to i i think uncle brian said take it or leave it with leg wand and i would have been like all right i guess i'll just sign thomas grice for nothing or trade for eddie lack or any of those other options that wouldn't have cost i think they could have done some cooler things with the 21st selection in this draft is all i think I, I really do think that when the goalie market was hit like, you know, or recreated a few months ago. Like, it seemed to me it was like Cam Talbot one, and then Robin Leonard, Eddie Lack, somewhere too. Um, I don't know how we got to this point where we think Cam Talbot is better than Robin Leonard. I, I find that interesting. One, I think Cam Talbot has years of age on Robin Leonard. Two, Cam Talbot had an unbelievable year this year, and Robert Leonard, you know, Robin Leonard had an okay year, plus he was hurt. So uh, I think that evaluations of the two kind of skewed but if you go back over like years and years of data Robin Leonard's been a pretty good goalie in the NHL we're only dealing with you know 80 or whatever how many games but he's been pretty good um and he's young so I'm not surprised that Buffalo especially Tim Murray who's you know worked with him for years I'm not surprised that Buffalo liked him or I should say loved him because they gave the first round pick for him but I I just found interesting that uh, Ottawa basically said yeah David Leguan is a cap dump and (laughs) Buffalo was like, okay, we'll still give you the first round pick. I just found that I don't know, I, not not a great trade from Buffalo. An average one. I I think they could have done like you said. I, I think they could have went in other directions. Maybe it was a, a layup, Tim uh, helping out the old uncle a little bit, but we'll see. Yeah, beware of small samples with goaltending. We saw it with Devin Dubnik uh, on both extremes, the Edmonton sample, and then now Minnesota, and he wants an eight-year deal. So. Yeah. Um, you got to be careful with that. Like you said, Rob, Robin Lehner has a, a larger sample size that speaks to him being at, at least league average and sometimes above that. So 
you know, Buffalo has a million draft picks. If they do so-so on one of the trades, that's fine because they have hit a home run with Eichel and Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane, so it's like whatever at that point. How do we feel about the prospects that Buffalo gave up in the Ryan O'Reilly trade? Uh, Zadorov is an interesting one. There's been some kind of they didn't like him. Issues. They did not like him. Uh, showing up out of shape to camp was one of the ones I've I've heard from Matthew Collar. Uh, they, they he kind of knew that they were gonna need him, so he kind of didn't put in the work. Was I believe what he said? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, late a few times, but you know Tyler Sagan, we could look at that same thing. You get into those character things, and it turns out to be a bad move. But. Um, JT Comfer's the other one, and, and much like you, Travis, I'm not a prospect guy, so it's tough for me to really speak from a place of knowing a lot. But they got prospects to burn. They've got a ton of cap space. They have these options, and 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 they're and they're doing it. Tim Murray has got a plan, and he's he's doing it. They did not like Zadorov. I know that for a fact, and I, I guess that's the world's worst kept secret. They did not like him. Um, I kind of figured that any trade would include him. Um, I, I, I probably for the reasons that you said, or Matthew Collar said, but they were, I I don't know how fast you're ready to move on from a a real prospect like that after just, you know, X months of, yeah, we're not too thrilled with this guy, but they were not thrilled with him at all. Yeah, but they got Ryan O'Reilly back. So they got a, a slam dunk. Yeah. Top six center that they, apparently they are very willing to give him monetarily what he wants. They knew that going in. So he, he very well could be a longtime saber. And are you really going to, you know, who goes on right? his wing? Who goes on his wing opening night? Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Uh, that's very interesting. They have some options here. Would Evander Kane automatically be assumed I, to Eichel? I think you have to put Evander Kane with Ryan O'Reilly. With Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you still have Tyler Ennis, Matt Molson, and um, the guy that everybody forgets about. Maybe they don't start him at center, but Sam Reinhart. They need a center. I think I think they need a center. Uh, which is funny because they just added big old David Leguan, but I, I think they need. Well, you know, it, it kind of gets back to the question though. What what do you want this team to accomplish next year? Because if you want, if you if you are saying we want this team to be competitive for 82 games next year, then I say you need a center. But if you're saying we're going to go with what we have, we're going to mix and match after Ryan O'Reilly down the middle, and some guys will work out and some guys won't, then I think you're fine. But you don't you don't think they can go Eichel, O'Reilly, and uh, Jurgensen's down the middle and be fine? I, I don't. Uh... <laughs> Jack, here's the thing about Jack Eichel. Again. I'm operating under the impression. I'm operating under the impression that him and Connor McDavid are going to be absolute stars. But I, I don't know if I'm just risk averse by this in a, by nature or what. But I am always year one. I'm always gun shy. I, I think you really, even the best players in the world. I think, I guess Sidney Crosby probably. This wasn't true for him, so I don't know if it's going to be true. Yeah, he put up a hundred. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be. You know, it's it's a good point, but I, I think it's fair to say though. Very good prospects, year one, doesn't always go the way we think it is. And I'm, I'm just talking about the prospects who are at, you know, the top five or seven prospects every year. Um, there's there's very much up and downs. And that, and that's fine for Buffalo, right? Like, we, we don't 
that's the Sabres are building. It's fine if a guy goes through a great stretch and then a terrible stretch, and that's that's it's going to happen. Um, I, I guess the I guess it comes back to the question of what you want this team to be. Like, are they expecting to compete for the playoffs, or are they are they just trying to be, you know, what they are and see how Jack develops and see how Jurgensen's plays and that. I, I really like Jurgensen, by the way. I love him. I, I think he might be my favorite Buffalo Sabres of the last two years. Um, so I, I have no qualms with him. But I uh, year one might be it, – it's hard to say with a prospect, even when, even when a prospect is as good as him. I, I just think you throw a guy into a top six role, that's when stuff gets a bit dicey. Um, I – I guess historically these players tend to pan out pretty well, <laughs> so I, I don't know that year one could should be as much of a concern as I'm making it. But I think from a wider scale, if you look at like the top five, seven prospects, year one, especially if they're jumping straight from the draft to the NHL, it can be a bit tricky sometimes. Um, two things for me: I, I'm bullish on Eichel. I think he'll get uh, at, at least 60 points next year. So um, wow. that's that's where I stand on that. So that's why I kind of don't have those reservations. I think he's we talk about this is the draft since Ovechkin Malkin with that, the two top picks being that talented. Uh, those two guys did okay. So not that they'll ever hit quite those. Those are two pretty big skates to fill with Ovechkin and Malkin. But, uh, and the other thing for me, as far as the Buffalo Sabres and, and what potential playoff they, it depends on what they do with their defense. Do they get that Cody Franzen or not? Because as their defense stands right now with Zadorov out the door, you're looking at Bogosian, Georges, Mike Weber, Ristolainen, very good, uh, Mazaros. Uh, there's just not much there. So that's, if they don't fix that. That's part of why, really, actually, it's, a, it's probably the largest percentage of why. And I, concern's the wrong word. I'm not concerned about Jack Eichel. I think he's going to be more than fine. Um, it, young centers, giving them that much of the burden defensively, is tricky and a, a guy a defenseman who can skate distribute exit the defensive zone cleanly get the puck in transition can be it's in invaluable asset to a center a young center because a young center doesn't mean he's terrible defensively but not every guy coming out of the draft is patrice bergeron so that's where you would be curious in signing or interested in signing a player like Cody France and Roger Scare or Mike Green because they can do that and they can take some of the burden off Jack Eichel in year one and then down the road Jack Eichel can return to favor. No, that's a fair point. You just, just don't go ahead, Cam. You just want the puck in on Jack Eichel's stick, but you don't want it on his stick below the goal line in his defensive zone. You don't want him having to cycle down there trying to retrieve the puck. Yeah. You want him higher in the zone, exiting the zone with speed so he can be explosive. And that's probably going to be the hard comparison between Eichel and McDavid is that the team McDavid's gone to is further into the cycle of, of rebuilding. They've got a player that can't get the puck up and out in Schultz. He's got his flaws, don't get me wrong, but he can at least get the puck out to the talent that's there. At the moment, as you guys have said, Buffalo have got no one that can do that on a regular and consistent basis. Well, here's the thing, though. Their head coach, Dan Bilesma, loves that stretch pass, and that does alleviate the puck handling of, you know, the defensemen. Brooks Orpik, Rob Scuderi, and those guys didn't defend well, but when they got the puck, they did have those long outlets that they could aimlessly um, <laughs> just shoot it out to and tip it in. Now, you could argue th that's poor strategy, <clears throat> but it would kind of 
you know, help a little bit in, in them having not that many puck-skilled defensemen back yeah. there. Yeah. So that's happened in the past, at least with the Dan yeah. Bilesma team. And, and I should say, and not to, not to beat this horse dead, but it, what I'm saying is really applicable for Jack Eichel year one. I, I think he's going to be a superstar in the league. I, I don't see any way that he doesn't pan out and pan out well. I just, you know, it, anytime you have a guy who's jumping straight to the NHL, um, even if he's got this unbelievable frame, you, you see, you, you, especially centers, you want to see that they have some assistance on the back end. Um, and the wingers, you know, the wingers ha- have to you know, contribute defensively as well. It's a, it's a team effort. Everyone knows that. But um, any way that they can take some of the pressure defensively off Jack Eichel, any, any way they can do that, I think it's going to pay dividends the other way because I think Jack Eichel is going to be fine offensively. The defensive learning curve is probably a bit harsher, um, and that's just as at a macro level. That's true for, I think, every forward that comes into the league. It's, holy shit, these guys are fast and strong, and I'm 18, 19 years old. But I, th- I think he's going to be fine. Um, I think Buffalo is going to be fascinating to watch next year because I guarantee point projections for that team post-Evander Cade and, and Ryan O'Reilly trades – I guarantee point projections are within like it, with it, ranging from like 20 points. I bet some teams think they're going to be contending for last overall again, and I bet some people think that they are going to be in that 80 to mid 80 point range. So I, I think they are outside of Carolina. I think Carolina is the most fascinating team 2015, 2016. Yeah, especially with that trade today with Wisniewski. They are go look at Carolina's defense. They are loading up. That defense is razor sharp. The goaltending gives me pause because I just – Cam Ward is not good. I don't know how one many year, One year left, though. One yeah, I don't left. know how many starts they're going to give him next year. Um, but that team, if you watch them down the stretch too, I think they were controlling, what, 53% of play the last, like, 40 games. That's that, that's a pretty damn good team. And uh, they, they kind of ran negative in the uh, shooting and save percentage department. But that was not the same – the first half and the second half team in Carolina – totally different night and day and i think there's going to be carryover into next year um you pointed out this morning it certainly seemed to coincide with jordan stall returning i love jordan stall i know his offensive numbers don't quite match what people perceive for a top six center but that guy is a defensive monster yeah he and, is and just changes the dynamic of what you can do on the ice and, and what little the other team can do on you can put him up against any of the league's top players and, and come out okay so um well while the time we have you left it being as though we both covered the pittsburgh penguins <laughs> we have to talk about them a little bit and there uh, of course there's no shortage of things to say about them i i do think they're one of the more interesting uh teams in the nhl they've been gifted uh crosby malkin Latang, and they've kind of screwed up the easy parts yeah, they. Uh, I, I said it. What did I say it a week ago? They they make me nervous. I, I don't know. I, I, just, like, I don't know why. It's a total. Not even total a fan. Hunch. I make me nervous as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's a total hunch thing. But I, I just kind of. I don't know. I get this feeling that they're going to do something just wild this summer. Not um, to interrupt you, but I got tweets right now. Rutherford back at the table. Penguins appear to be. Uh, it's moving fit. On the verge of something, Rutherford returning to draft. Oh, Jesus, what's going to happen? Kessel for Malkin. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Kessel thing, yes. Let's touch on that. 
Um, I think Phil Kessel's terrific player. Um, I agree that we've talked in the past about maybe it's difficult to predict when his kind of slight decline will start. Um, But I I truly believe in him as a player. Um, He's a great goal scorer, but he makes eight million and he's going to take what little Pittsburgh quality prospects that can play on ELCs to get him. And Pittsburgh's not in, they're not in cap trouble right now, but they're, they don't have a Buffalo Sabres war chest of cap money. And they certainly don't have a war chest of prospects. I just don't see the fit. Um, by the way, interesting note. I know as a matter of fact that, and I just, I don't know that this is true or not. I really don't. Um, it was hard to watch them down the stretch. I We agree that the people running the Leafs are pretty sensible um, these days. They feel like, Phil Kessel quit on the team down the stretch. And I, I just found that interesting because we're not hearing this from old-timey Randy Carlisle or, or some guy um, who throws out these narratives when a team goes south or when a player's performance goes south. And, look, Phil Kessel's play did go south randomly last year because, you know, historically he's good for 30 goals and 60 points or whatever it is every single year. He's a monster. He's an absolute monster, Phil Kessel, offensively. But – they felt that he mailed it in down the stretch. And I, I found that fascinating because you hear that all the time about players and teams and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, who cares? See, you're, you're 95% of the time you're, you're just saying it just because the guy's safer, the on-ice safe percentage dropped or his on-ice shooting percentage dropped. But I'm telling you, I mean, I, I just, maybe it's just a bias on my part, but I think that organization is super sharp now. And for them to say that, it does. It does raise, and not a red flag, but like a, like a yellow flag or, or an off an off white flag for me. So I, I think that number one is interesting. But more importantly, to the Pittsburgh perspective, can you imagine him on Sidney Crosby's wing on stop? Oh, from an entertainment thing, that's great. But to win a Stanley Cup, I'm not sure what it would take to get and what cap hit comes with. I, I don't know how. Yeah, that what goes. what contract can they even shuffle off? Let's assume. And remember, you can go over the cap, I believe, in the summer. So let's assume that they can just get Phil Kessel. I mean, they have to clear cap space. So what what contract do they take off the books? Uh, the candidates would be Sutter, Spalling, Skidari, Kunitz. That's pretty much it. Flurry. Uh, well, they're not going to do it. I, I I've moved past that mentally. <laughs> I've been writing about goaltender valuations and why you don't need to spend that much. Yeah, but for we're talking a year. Here. We're talking in a vacuum. His name is in that is in that group. I would have already done it. Yeah, but so they have about five or six guys that they can move away. But Brandon Sutter, number one, I don't even – even if they didn't need to clear cap space, they should probably trade Brandon Sutter. I don't think he's any good. <laughs> no one. Well, well, you you got somebody on this podcast or two people that agree with you with that assessment. So, um, But he has perceived value. Oh, we so, lost Travis. Uh-oh. We'll call him back. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Brandon Sutter does have that perceived value. You get talking about, um, like, the St. Louis Blues and, and TJ Oshie and that kind of stuff. Travis, we got you back? You do. I was just ranting okay. about maybe they should trade Brandon Sutter because, regardless of cap reasons, I don't think he's that good. No, but he has perceived value around the league for some reason in certain circles. So I think there's an opportunity there. Um, maybe Doug Armstrong in St. Louis, something around TJ Oshie, maybe Pittsburgh not, has to yeah, add a you're little not bit. Taking, you're not taking Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas. So here's what I think, Pittsburgh. Let's say let's say 
they want to get Phil Kessel, okay? They're willing to mortgage more futures for Phil Kessel, and they need to clear cap space. <sighs> there is no bigger value in this league than knowing what GM you can take on a deal tomorrow. And I, St. Louis would be a candidate that I'm calling. Colorado, I'm calling literally five times a day. Uh, those are the teams, you know, a team like Boston, obviously. I mean, it's... Does Pittsburgh fall into that? Yes. I I, I don't say I'm not saying they don't. I, I I would I don't think Pittsburgh is a sharp run organization right now. I I just I, I get the thing is I with Pittsburgh I'm just more nervous about them than anything else. I I just feel that they're gonna do something that is just not it's just adverse to what they have with Crosby, Malk, and Latang. I I really think they're gonna do something that runs adverse to that for the sake of. We need to get stronger or bigger or better defense. There's going to be some like some reason that they need to do this for, or even worse, they go out and get a declining, depreciating asset and they give up more future assets because that cupboard is looking pretty bare right now. They're in such a tough spot, and everybody knows it. They have young puck-moving defensemen. They need have a need for top six, and the, the people holding the cards with the forwards are like, oh, Derek Pouliot, Olimata. Not Brian Dumoulin and Scott Harrington. <laughs> Give us the good stuff. Let me ask you. And... Let me ask you. Got both a question. Um, I don't know if there's anyone who likes Chris Letang more than me as a player. Really, I, I really think he's a top five defenseman in the league. Period. Would you consider trading Chris Letang? Well, what do they? What are they getting back? What can they really don't have with Erhoff and Martin leaving? What? I, and I, I assume. Your concerns are health-related, yes, not playing-related? Only, only health-related. And I share that concern because he's a head injury away from being done done with a stroke. Ha- he's had multiple concussions before that. Ryan, I, I think you absolutely – I don't want to say consider it. I, I just don't think it's off the table. Like I, I This is the sad – and really is sad. I'm not, it's not even hyperbole. It's a sad reality of running a sports franchise and – I think nine times out of ten, injury concerns, air quotes, are way, way, way out of line. Like a guy breaks his elbow and it's, oh, this guy's injury prone. It's like he broke an elbow. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's unrelated to anything in the past. Let's guy got hit in the face with a slap shot like Patrick Eves. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's exactly. Prone. Exactly. But with Tang's injury history, I, I, good. it kind of, I, don't, I mean, I didn't get my MD, but it kind of it kind of strikes me as an exception because that's an ugly injury history. Do you ride it out with him, knowing that other teams also know this? And what what if you I, can't? I mean, obviously you don't do it if you can't get value. But what kind of value could he get? I think I and that's the thing. I think some teams might have give pause because of Latang's history, but I think he is so good that a team at least. Let's say you have eight suitors. I would say at least four of them would be willing to give up fair value for him tomorrow just because of how dynamic he is and just because of how impossible it is to find a player of his quality, which makes it insane from a Pittsburgh perspective to say, hey, we're going to trade away this top five defenseman in the NHL right now. But I think you need to – I don't know. Like I I feel like there might be value in hedging a bit against his injury history. And it's – you would only do it in an instance where you're getting – Real, real, real solid assets back, whether it's a, a, another younger defenseman who maybe has not such an abrasive cap hit, and then it gives you more flexibility to do something like Kessel, or if you're going to get that premier forward. And the thing, though, is you lose Latang for a forward, say. Um, let's, let's, let's say Latang and Kessel part of a big 
Pittsburgh-Toronto trade. And this package balances it out. There's picks and prospects in there. You got to get a defenseman then. So then it's do you bid on Mike Green in free agency? Do you bid on Andre Sakara in free agency? Like they they have options. Cody Franzen. Yeah, that, they have options. So all I'm saying is I, I think Crosby's untradeable. Period. Not not even negotiable. And I think that's basically true for Malkin too. Latang, if he didn't have this ugly injury history, I he would absolutely be in that untradeable group. But he does have this history, and I think. There may I, I don't know the answer. There may be value in hedging against that though. I would roll the dice at least one more year and and prop up his uh, value a little bit more. But uh, ultimately, I I would roll the dice with a player like him and hope he stays healthy. Cam, would you consider it? Uh no, because you're not going to get value for him now. And if he rolls out next year and plays you know, ostensibly 70, 70 plus games, you're going to get his cap value out of him. And and that's the reality. I mean, you get there and you go, oh, suddenly he's tradable. Well, you don't want to get rid of him. Like you said, he's a top five defenseman. The, the reason that, that Crosby and, and, and Malcolm at the start of the year were playing so well is he was playing in a system that allowed him to be him. Absolutely. He just played. He just played hockey, and you get there and go, oh, so this is why everyone loves Chris Letang. You can see, you get it. You can see why he's so dynamic, and you go, well, you know, if he was healthy in the, if he was healthy at the end of the year rather than the start of the year, would the Penguin season have been different? And, and that's the problem. As Gunnar said, you roll the dice and pray you don't come up snake eyes with him. We're not. We all are. We all in agreement though that this is in. This isn't a totally off the board thought, no. like like trading a a Crosby or a Malkin. Like I, all I'm saying, I, I actually agree with you guys. I think you do roll the dice with him because I just think he's that good. I, I don't. Again, I'm high as high on Crystal Tang. Underpaid me. too, if you're asking me. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Um, how many years is he signed for? By the way, how many more years does he have left on? Twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. Um. I know. I know. I know. No, it's 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 really not a bad deal. Like it, the thing is. It's just, he, because he has, of that, he stays injury prone. That's and that's the reality of, of any long term deal. If someone yeah. starts missing a lot of games, then you start shaking your head at the length. Of yeah, but if he he gets hurt though, you're talking about a long term injured reserve Mark Savard situation. Yep. I think then then you are like, oh, he did his ACL. Like you know what I mean? It's yep. true. Yeah, good point. Um, so. None of us, I don't believe, have RMDs though, so we'll just kind of speak that we're we're speaking on that from a uh, hockey perspective, not a not a medical perspective. I, I I just, I think it's, I don't even want to say an option. I just think it's a thought. It's a thought for Pittsburgh. Oh, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and the reason, let me explain. The only reason why it's a thought is because they just don't have much else to offer. That's the only reason. If they, if their cupboard were semi full, I would say, let's send off this guy, send off that guy, send off that pick. They just don't have a lot. And if they think they need to add, then I don't think his name is in that group, but it's not in the untouchable group. That's where I'm thinking. I think um, I think that Pittsburgh, reading some of the stuff right now on Twitter, there's a lot of Oshie talk going on. I, I think Doug Armstrong can be had. I wrote about his trade history the past two years not being the best. I think they could almost trick the Blues into Sutter or something like that because Sutter has the last name, the 21 goals. He's viewed as some kind of shorthanded um, quality player when he's not. <laughs> His Fenwick against per 60 shorthanded is 
terrible. So I, I think there's some options there um, moving forward. Oshie's an interesting. What, Oshie's an interesting name. I have another interesting name too. Mike Hoffman. Yeah, um, but Ottawa's done so well with Mark Stone. They and, are uh, here's, here's reality though. They are very relative to Stone and Zabanejad. They are cool on Hoffman. You saw it at the end of last year. He was getting fourth line minutes despite leading the team in goals. He wasn't out on the power play. The team was favoring David Legwan types on the wing over him. And I mean, there were healthy scratches towards the you know in the in parts of the year. So you want to talk about adding a speed element on the wing for Pittsburgh, their second or third line. As an RFA, you offer up something there. Uh, well, they don't have a second round pick. Would that fall into that? They've got future picks though. They've got 2016 picks. Oh, but he's an RFA. Oh, you mean straight up trade? Yeah, yeah, straight up trade. Because I think I okay. think Ottawa, I I think Ottawa would absolutely trade him. I don't, I'm not saying they would give him away. I, I think they recognize that even if they don't value him as maybe we do, I think they recognize that when a guy scores 28 goals or however many Hoffman scored, he has real value. Um, Hoffman's interesting because he is one of those rare late bloomers that, you know, he was toiling in the AHL for a few years and it was like, man, this guy looks pretty good. He skates like the wind. He finally gets a shot in the NHL and he scores like a maniac. Now, I, I don't know if he's a 30 goal guy, but yeah, I think Pittsburgh could really, really use a speed element on their wing, and they, and that's that's an interesting uh, thought because uh, I agree that St. Louis is also one of the three teams I would call, but I, I, I would I would call on Oshi. I would call Colorado to see any player that they have that they want to talk about. I would call them because they'll lose the trade, <laughs> even and if it's not a need. <laughs> doesn't even it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter who Colorado. It, it could be it could be a, an assistant coach. It could be. A fan, anyone that you want at a Colorado's organization, you can have, and you'll win the trade, and they'll lose it. Um, And (laughs) and Ottawa is interesting because they have this RFA that I think they are okay on. I don't think they love their cap situation is extremely tight right now. Ottawa, even after dumping David Legwand, it's interesting because it gives them a bit more cap relief, and if you can turn around fair assets for them, I don't think you'd have to give up the world for a guy who had one really good year as a late bloomer. Um, I, I think that's an interesting move, too. One would argue a good a good risk-reward target. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that would just be a straight trade. Um, but, I, th- I, I again, you, you this is what's so fascinating from, like, a summer perspective if you're a GM. You have to go through every single team, basically, and every single player and kind of self-evaluate who would be available, who would not be available, who's undervalued and who's overvalued. And that's... I mean, that's not like a five-minute exercise. That takes a significant amount of time. And it's like, you know, we when you guys are both, you know, big and uh, paying attention to the Pittsburgh perspective, I, I pay, a lot, obviously, a lot of attention to the Ottawa perspective. Um, but it's like, it's funny because, you know, you have a real good pulse on those teams, say, and then you have a good pulse for, like, you know, the 10 or 12 teams you really pay attention to. But then it's like, oh, what the hell does New Jersey think about this guy? And it's like, I have no idea because I watched 76 Devils games last year, but I just – the organization doesn't talk a lot. They've got new ownership or they've got new management. And it's like, you know, it's, it's very hard because you never want to go into a trade call or, you know, talk to another GM and not have an initial feel for a guy because otherwise it's a waste of time. And maybe you're going to end up losing the deal. So that's why I think there's unbelievable value in. Sometimes I think you're more beneficial to not target players and target teams. And that's, I, I really, I really do believe if you called the Colorados of the world and just got players from Colorado, 
you could build a better team faster than if you were targeting specific players from specific markets. I don't disagree at all. Thought of it very bright. Never even thought of attacking it that way in regards to you know trying to strip a team just because they make bad. It's a really really good attitude to take. I quite like that perspective. Yeah, it's um. I don't think it's dissimilar to what's going on in like you know, financial markets or you know the business world. It's it's kind of the same principle, right? Like you don't want to be at the table. You're the shark. You don't want to be negotiating with another shark. You want to talk to the fish, and the fish at the table knows that you're the predator, but he can't do anything about it, right? Like he he's a fish, so there's no way he can hurt you. So that's that's kind of the way I I, I really and this is not something that I've thought for a while. It's only really over the last year or two, but it's. It's crazy to me some of the people in charge of hockey teams and in charge of decision-making when it's like I compare them to other people in charge of decision-making and hockey teams. And it's like it's night and day. It's crazy. I, I can't even imagine what some of these phone calls sound like with Patty Gua. <laughs> Joseph. Um, question. Now, that we've talked about Pittsburgh having limited resources. We talked about Phil Kessel, Oshie Hoffman, and and – Knowing that they don't, Pittsburgh's not in a good spot. They're going to have to take a little bit bigger of a risk. I know you've written about this in the past. Alexander Semin, does that even make sense for a team like Pittsburgh? Maybe. I, it really depends on what they would have to give up. I, I don't. If there's, let's say, fifty percent uh, salary they take. Carolina's retaining fifty percent. I think Alex Semin. Then, if they're going to retain fifty percent. I think I take a flyer on Alex Semin, and here's why. I think part of your risk-reward equation is you have Crosby and Malkin in their prime now. It's beneficial to you to, to rebuild the system because they're not going to be in their prime six years from now, but they're in their prime now. And you have a, a duty, an obligation, to surround them with as much talent as possible because they're two generational talents that you were gifted into. And I think that matters. Like, I'm not saying sandbag the next 10 years to get these guys who they need. But in the case like Alex Semin, for example, like you smartly pointed out, I think that's a situation where I don't think you'd have to give up the world. And I think Carolina is actually looking to get out of that contract. Maybe they retain half the salary. Maybe you give up a pick and a prospect or whatever it is. But Or Sutter. Yeah, yeah or, or throw it all. <laughs> the other problem is I there are there is a smart person in Carolina whose role is – Rapidly, yes. rapidly increasing. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you do not – I don't know how, how well you're going to take Carolina to trade, but I will say that the seven contract is interesting because I think Carolina wants to get out of it. And uh, even if they even if they don't hate the player, um, I think they want to get out of it. And maybe maybe Pittsburgh, uh, it, it, that's, a, that's a move they consider. Because, I mean, I, no matter what you say about the Penguins, it all comes down to this. you got two generational talents. You need to surround them with more talent. Your window is now – Six years, that doesn't mean, you know, strip down the cupboards and then in six years from now say, oh, well, we've got seventh round picks on the first line because we have nothing else. I mean, it's it's a combination of things, right? You want to smell off assets smartly and, and stockpile for the future, but at the same time, you want to also focus on the short term and get guys around Crosby and Malkin because you can win a Stanley Cup with these two players, your core, especially if you're keeping Latang. Fleury's an adequate goaltender. I don't know that he's worth the cap hit, but he is. He is. is, is. What's that, Cam? I just said yes, he is. Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, so, you, you love him. Yeah, yeah. So I like I, you know, maybe he's overpaid, but he he's gonna get the job done. So it's, it it comes down to this: 
you've got to consider these types of options. A guy with warts, a guy like Alex Semin. And the reason why you have to consider a guy with warts before anyone else is because, like you said, or both of you said, you don't have a trillion assets to go trading off for these Tarasenko types and whoever. It's You're going to have to take a guy with warts and take a bit of a gamble, but the, the, the offset to that is you won't have to give up as much, and at the same time you can fulfill your obligation to those two generational players to push for another Stanley Cup. Very good. Now, non-hockey-related, I'm going to close with two things with you, Trey. Right. I'm sure this is going to be important. It's going to be very important. Who the hell is going to quarterback the 2015 Buffalo Bills and is the answer Jesus? Ryan Wilson. Ryan Wilson. <laughs> that team, I'll, I'll say this. I am more excited about Rex Ryan than anything else. I think I love Rex Ryan. I, I think he is super sharp. I think First off, I think the Jets did him in brutally those last two years. Um, I, they sandbagged him. They had like $40 million in cap space last year. They're like, yeah, what the hell? Just go and roll out with this team. But I think there are weapons all over the field. But again, it comes down to who the hell can throw a football on this team. And I'll never forget, I think it was the first day of OTAs. It was a Mike Rodak or someone like tweeted out, like, not a banner day for the quarterbacks. And it's like, I think they were running like pass skeletons. It wasn't even like a, a full, it was, a, it was, I was like, what? And someone had mentioned that they were having trouble setting up screen passes. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, what the hell? I I think it's going to be Matt Castle, but I have no idea. I mean, I, I read something last week that he was maybe on the bubble. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Is Jeff Garcia available? Oh my God. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's not, a, I, I'm just hoping they win every game, like six to three. That first off, that defense is going to be punishing. I I think the my favorite Bills memory of the last like ten years is that game against Green Bay when they had Aaron Rodgers rattled. Bakari Rambo had like two interceptions. I think they picked him off like four or five times. He had his worst first half QB rating ever. And I'm like, they're doing this with Jim Schwartz. Give them Rex Ryan, who is the best defensive mind in the NFL, and let's see what happens. And I, I'm just ten and six, and they're gonna score. 55 points this year, and they're going to give up 36, and that's how they're going to do it. They have such a great roster, but the only thing that re- – the the one position that drives success in the NFL, they don't have. It's not that they don't have. It's like it's like they don't even have an average quarterback. They, they, don't, they can't even get away with a mediocre quarterback. Like, team – like, everyone kills the Bengals and the Ravens. Like, oh, not even, I shouldn't even say the Ravens, but like a team like the Bengals is a perfect example. Like, oh, Andy Dalton, he's not good. He's not good. But, like – Andy, Andy Dalton is the most mediocre quarterback in the league, period. But the team is loaded, similarly to Buffalo. But that goes to show you that these teams can get into the playoffs if you even have Andy it. Dalton would be the best quarterback since Jim Kelly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for that's exactly the my point. The Bills, they, they don't have – it's not that they don't have a quarterback. They don't even have, like, a replacement-level quarterback. And, by the way, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready – I, like, if Matt Castle doesn't work out, and I'm pretty sure – I'm not pretty sure. I'm kind of sure that he won't. I, I, I don't know if I'm ready for E.J. Manuel because last year was as uh, abysmal as probably being kind. Some of the advanced football people that I follow on Twitter aren't uh, too high on E.J. Manuel, and why would they be? He can't complete a pass. I mean, this is like the basic – this is the principal tenet of playing quarterback is you have to complete a pass. Uh Cam, I'm sorry. I know the NFL, it's not your thing. It's cool. Um, it's cool. Uh, lastly, food related. Do you have any advice now that we have 
uh, Canada Day and July 4th coming up. Any do's and don'ts for the barbecue? All right. Here is what it is. This is what you're going to want to do out there. Sandwiches. You're going to want to do hot dogs, okay? okay. So, so, look, but here's the thing. With hot dogs, people always screw this up. They want to throw sauerkraut. They want to throw everything on a hot dog. You put a hot dog in a bun. You put a little mustard, a little ketchup. That's how a hot dog is eaten, period. There's no other way around it. That's it. So uh, hot dogs meat, are – Meat hot sauce in this neck of the woods. I'm, I'm actually – you know what? I'm actually might be amenable to hot sauce. I don't have it, but I put hot sauce on almost everything. So I'll, I'll meat hot sauce I'll though. Meat. Rochester's version. Are you familiar? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, burgers, an absolute must because burgers are the greatest thing in the world. But if you're going with more than one, you got to purge the buns because you, then you, then it's just too many carbs. So you get out the plate, <laughs> you, cook, you cook the burger only done at medium. You throw the burger, mm-hmm. just the burger, on a plate. Let's say you have two of them. You throw the burgers on the plate. A knife and fork, a little mustard, a little mayo, a little ketchup, whatever you want to do. I'm okay with that on a burger. Knife and fork, though, has to be. And you got if you have more than one, you got to lose the buns because otherwise you're going to be dying the next day. Agreed. And for my 4th of July party, I'm going to my uh, friend Andy's house, who happens to very much enjoy your analysis. <laughs> He's actually got a garbage plate, make your own garbage plate set up. So we've eliminated the buns like you Lettuce said. Lettuce wraps, baby. Let it, you know what? It's, fun, it's so funny. My, <laughs> uh, my fiance um, was doing the low-carb thing just to see if it worked, and it's it's like on, it literally all, – all I've tried to do in the last like 10 years is gain weight. Meanwhile, you know, girls are always like, hey, I'm trying to lose eight pounds or whatever. So, so okay, so she did the low-carb thing, and one of the substitutes she made, like if we ever had burgers, she would do lettuce wraps with, and – I remember one time she was doing the lettuce wraps. And I was in the buns. I was like, hey, let me try it with the lettuce wraps. Like, I actually think the lettuce wraps might even be better than the buns. I, I, I re- and it, it, like health wise, it's an unbelievable substitute. So, well, there you have it. We got hot hockey takes, and as always, the esteemed food critic opinion of, um, of Mr. Travis. Yeah, and by yes. the way, Fourth of July, the the, the another tenant of Fourth of July. Honest to God, hot dogs do them right. Burgers do them right. But 4th of July, I think, is the most underrated American holiday. So let me also throw in, have whatever the hell you want, food-wise. But just make sure, not to use, make sure not to use your hands, please. Yes, as always, fork and knife, even with the Snickers bar, <laughs> George Costanza style. Um, Travis, thank you so very much for being with us today. It was nice of you to take a time out of your Saturday, a week before you are getting married, so congratulations on that front. Yeah, I'm, I'll send you my uh, invoice tomorrow. <laughs> yes, of I know course, hockey hurts. I think I think box. we've gone over. I think we've gone over. So that's two hours for wow, you. Wow, that's what happens. We always roll the one hour and one minute. Well, that's two hours. Um, you can find Travis's awesome work every Tuesday and Thursday at TSN.ca. Um, you're one of the best. Um, analytical minds out there that's writing about it and you uh, of course that when you were at hockey buzz helped me very much get on this path so thank you very much all right your checks in the mail Brian. <laughs> no problem <laughs> all right guys. that'll do it for